Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for the stability and the strength and courage that your word brings. We ask, Holy Spirit, that as we open up the living word of God, that you would help us to see what you want us to see and help us to become who you want us to become. In Jesus' name, amen. The title for my message this morning is God's Remedy for This Nation. God's Remedy for This Nation. I have been preparing and praying for quite some time. I haven't been to sleep yet tonight, this morning, but I have an important message that God has laid upon my heart that I pray will give you great courage uh, that comes from understanding perhaps the bigger picture of, God, what on earth are you doing? What on earth is happening? Why have our lives been turned upside down and, and what is going on? Does your word have any answers for us? I want to tell you that God's word absolutely does have answers for us. Uh, I also want to encourage you, secondly, to not only look for the individual or perhaps family answer of, well, Lord, how are you going to help me or care for me? I want to remind you that God's care and love for you is absolutely certain. Uh, Jesus said that not a hair can fall from your head without him knowing it. He has counted the very hairs of your head. Uh, even a sparrow cannot fall to the ground apart from the knowledge of our Heavenly Father. That's why he encourages us and tells us in Matthew chapter 6, he says many times, do not worry about your life. Uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, God knows what is going to happen tomorrow. Uh, just believe God that he has got your back and that you know what? He is with you here and today. And so as we look to the scriptures this morning, I want to encourage us to look to say, well, Lord, not only how are you going to care for me, because I pray that you do know that God cares for you. He cares so much for you that he gave his son Jesus for you. And that ought to uh, ensure our hearts and encourage us to know that, wow, God, if you gave us your very best when you gave your son Jesus, Lord, how shall you not also with him freely give us all things? Lord, if you, you didn't hold him back, you gave the very best that you had when you gave us your son. And so please let that encourage your heart on the personal level and for your family that, that God is with you. He is, not a, he is with you and for you. He is not against you. Amen? And so, but as we turn to the scriptures as well, I say, well, Lord, okay, you're, you're, you're with me. You're for me. You're the good shepherd of my soul. Oh, Lord, what on earth are you doing in this world? Does, is there anywhere in the Bible that could inform our faith and give us courage to bring understanding to say, oh, perhaps this is what God is up to. I want to let you know that there are several passages of Scripture that we're going to turn to this morning, mostly in the Old Testament, that will bring tremendous understanding, I believe, to perhaps what is happening today. The first passage that we're going to turn to is found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 7 through 11. This was God's message to Ezekiel when he was speaking to the children of Israel. God says to him, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. 
Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, that means that we waste away in them, how can we then live? That's what the children of Israel were saying. Verse 11 is what God told Ezekiel to say to them. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God had set Ezekiel to be a watchman for Israel, Sadly, for many, many years, generation after generation, Israel had turned from the living God and they were going their own way. And so God in his love, he made Ezekiel a watchman to proclaim his word, uh, not in judgment, but to seek to turn his children back to himself. He gave them the assurance that said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Uh, God's plea for his people was turn turn that you may live. Further on in Ezekiel chapter, uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30, he goes on to say, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God, repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Do you see God's heart there? Here God has set Ezekiel to be a watchman for Israel because they had strayed so far from him. And his message to them was, I have no pleasure in the death of those who die, the death of the wicked, but rather God has pleasure when those who are far from him turn back to God. You see, the common thread, a a common message throughout the Bible is a message of repentance where God is constantly calling his people back to himself. Another spokesman, another prophet that God spoke through in the Old Testament was a man named Jeremiah. I want us to turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. And this is what God had to say through Jeremiah. He said this, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Do you see God's heart there? That he is calling them back to himself? that in spite of all that they had done, you see, Israel, even in Jeremiah's day, they had provoked the Lord to anger because they had turned their back to him. In spite of all the many blessings that God had given to them, Israel was continually ignoring the Lord, giving him the back, and not showing any reverence, any respect towards him. Are there any parallels with Israel, perhaps with our nation today? You know, there are many godly people, perhaps such as yourself. There is a remnant in this country and around this world of people who do love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. However, 
it's not just the remnant that I'm talking about this morning, that there are many people all across this nation who, in spite of the many blessings that God has given to them, they have turned their back unto him. And so God sends messengers and telling them, please turn back. I do not want you to die. Turn, repent from your wicked ways. But sadly, sometimes that message, not sometimes, all too often that message goes ignored. And so Jeremiah was giving them that message saying, I am merciful. I will not remain angry forever. Here God tells them in verse 13, only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city, two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I want to dwell on verse 15 there briefly and read it again. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. As I was reading that this morning, I was thinking about Jeremiah, that he is definitely called a prophet of the Lord. But here Jeremiah was like a pastor for the nation of Israel. And as a pastor, his desire was to feed the people of God with knowledge and understanding. He didn't want to simply pat them on the back and send them along their way. He didn't want to sugarcoat things when things were going wrong. No, he wanted to speak the truth to them because even their country back thousands of years ago was going through a very difficult time. You see, they weren't necessarily surrounded with a a virus that was uh, threatening to, to harm a lot of people. No, they had the Babylonian who were going to surround their country and invade their country. And so Jeremiah had a difficult decision to make. Does he sugarcoat things and just tell them, oh, you know, just God loves you all. And even if you're ignoring him and and living life your own way, everything's going to be great. That would not have been wise for him. That would not have been the loving thing to do. No, Jeremiah, because he was a true prophet of God, he says that God was going to use him as a pastor to feed the people of God with knowledge and understanding. And that's my prayer for each of us this morning, that God would use us and that he would use this message to feed your soul with knowledge and understanding. To say again, what's going on in this world? Let's continue to see what God has to say. After he, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter thir- uh, 36, verse 15, Uh, This was two verses that I came across here a couple of years ago that really uh, spoke to my heart in a good way, and I'll get back to it here in a sec. Uh, In the end of Chronicles, I mean, who reads Chronicles on a daily basis? Not many people, but there are two verses that are nuggets of truth that just bring great encouragement, and I want to tell you why. Because sadly, a lot of people, when they read the Old Testament, where they hear about the Old Testament prophets, all they can think about is the wrath of God and the judgment of God. But here in Second Chronicles 36, we, we catch a glimpse of the heart of God. Well, why did he send the prophets to Israel? Why did he send his messengers? Let's read and see what the, he has to say. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. What was the response of the people, though? But they mocked the messengers of God, 
despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Let's go back to that previous verse. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because why? He had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. You know, I reminds me a little bit about parenting that when your children are are getting out of line that you send warnings verbally don't do that don't do that that's not a good idea and you know sometimes kids don't listen very well do they and if we're honest sometimes adults don't listen very well either (laughs) but God in his love and compassion when his people go astray he sends his messengers in compassion saying please return back to me But after a long season, if God's people don't turn back, what was their response again? How did they respond? It says, sadly, that they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at him until finally the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. I pray that we don't come to that place in our nation where there is no remedy. I know that God in his love has many messengers, many pastors, teachers, evangelists, uh, missionaries, apostles, prophets. He has many people throughout this nation who are speaking for him, his words, and seeking to turn people back to the Lord. Is it because God's just some angry God and, and he likes to bring judgment? No, God is a compassionate God, a merciful God, and he simply desires for his people to turn from their wicked ways and to seek after him and to begin to follow in his ways. Another passage in Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to turn there here in a few moments, is very pertinent, I believe, for what America is going through, but not just America. I believe the nations of this world. Jeremiah chapter 18 is a passage that talks about the the potter and the potter's wheel. Let's read together in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, Can I not do with you as this potter says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. This passage brings great comfort to a lot of people, and rightfully so, that the Lord, he is the potter, we are the clay. Sometimes we become marred in the hands of the potter, and he is able to reshape and fashion our life into a vessel or a pot as pleases him. That is great comfort. Uh, There's great comfort in that scripture. But we also need to continue to read to find out, well, Lord, what were you speaking to Jeremiah? What message were you trying to give him? Was it simply an individual message for his own life? Or perhaps were you addressing the entire nation when you sent Jeremiah down to the potter's house? Let's continue to read. It says here in verse 7, Actually, let's read here in verse, verse 5 again. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. 
Did you notice that God is talking not simply to an individual, but there he is talking to the entire nation of Israel, saying, Israel, as a nation, you are in my hand. Let's continue reading. In verse 7, The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant that I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build or to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent of the good which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. Wow. Do you see God's heart there? There he sent Jeremiah to the potter's house where the potter was making something on the wheel, a vessel. And in the process of making that vessel, it was in the hands of the potter. Here he gives a very clear message to Jeremiah saying that on a national scale, that if God is planning a disaster, if he's planning judgment, again, not because he delights in that, as we learn in Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. No, God said that just as that clay is in the hand of the potter, if he is planning disaster, if that nation will turn from its evil way, and if it will begin to obey the voice of the Lord, well, that pot that was marred in his hand because of its own stubborn ways, not because of God, he says that, you know what, that God will then begin to make that pot into another vessel, that that lump of clay into another vessel, as it pleases him. But he goes on to say as well that if God has good plans for a nation, if that nation refuses to follow God, if they refuse to obey the Lord on a national scale, God says the good that I thought to do to that nation, I can no longer do that, but instead I must bring judgment. Why does God bring judgment? Again, I don't want to sound like a a repeating broken record here, He's not bringing judgment on Israel here in this time period in the book of Jeremiah or Ezekiel because he is just, uh, for no reason, it's because he had been sending his messengers time and time and time again. But instead of listening to the message, instead of turning to the Lord with all their heart, instead they continued to go down their own pathway. Let's continue to read to see how the people responded to Jeremiah's message. It says here in verse 12, this is the people's message, and they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans, and we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. Let's go back to verse 11. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord, behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. I want to ask you, what is so hard about that end of that verse? Return everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Why in verse 12 would they say this is hopeless, but instead we will walk according to our own plans 
and we will everyone obey the dictates of our evil heart. This is a very tragic response of the people. And sadly, it reveals the the depth of the hardness of their heart. You see, when God sends warnings to people to, to turn, turn back to him, if we or anyone else, when they choose to ignore God's message, it has a hardening effect upon their hearts. If we go on to read in Jeremiah and go to verse 18, the people further responded. They said, come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attack him with a tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words. Wow. Let us attack Jeremiah with a tongue with our words and not let us not pay attention to any of his words. This is very sobering because if you read through the Bible, and that's where I want to encourage you to spend time in God's word, it takes time to grow in his word, but it's, it's worth all the effort. Uh, previous to Jeremiah 18, on three separate occasions, God had told Jeremiah the prophet, do not pray for the nation of Israel. I read that some years ago, many years ago, actually, when I stumbled across that, I was like, wait a second, God, I have never, ever had the thought or concept, why would you ever tell somebody to not pray for the nation? Well, you see, God knew that their hearts were so incredibly hard that the children of Israel for hundreds of years had been going their own way. For hundreds of years, they had been abusing God's messengers, his prophets. They had been ignoring his words. Now they're saying about Jeremiah, hey, let's attack him with our mouth, with our words, and let's not pay any attention to him as if that would make God's judgments go away. We see this here. If you want to uh, write this down, perhaps, where are those three times in Jeremiah where God told Jeremiah not to pray for the nation of Israel? was in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 16, in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse uh, 9 through 14, I believe. And now let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 14, and we're going to go to verse 10 through 12. Thus says the Lord to this people, Thus they have loved to wander. Remember, this is previous to the potter's house, to the Jeremiah chapter 18, and this is what God says to Jeremiah. These people have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Uh, What is God talking about there? They have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. He's talking about in their own stubborn or selfish or sinful ways that the people of Israel, they just wandered far from God. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Then the Lord said to me, now, this is the third time, by the way, that God has, says that, has said this to Jeremiah. Do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Wow. Church, that was so very sobering when I read that. Three times. God had told Jeremiah, don't pray. Don't, don't pray for these people for their good. I want to tell you, God has not told me not to pray for these people, but there is something we need to learn from God's word that there is an, an applicable principle. There is a correlation between the nation of Israel 
and perhaps even our nation. You see, I pray that America has not gone so far that God would ever say, stop praying for America because they've gone so far. You see, God knew that Israel had hardened their heart so hard that they would absolutely refuse to listen to his message. And that's why God said, do not pray for those people. If we continue on in the next verse, in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 13, then Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets, that's other prophets, not Jeremiah he's talking about, they are saying to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Jeremiah had a huge battle in front of him. You see, there was other spokespeople that were speaking on behalf of God and the nation of Israel. And here, Jeremiah, he was probably considered the bad news bearer. Oh, there's Jeremiah again. He's telling the people to repent and to turn back to God because God's going to bring judgment. And yet there was another group of people who were saying, oh, everything's going to be just great. We're not going to see war. We're not going to see famine. We're not going to see the pestilence, which pestilence, by the way, is a plague or an epidemic, a pandemic. No, those things are going to be far from us. And sadly, the nation of Israel, they had itching ears, the Bible says, and they wanted to hear that kind of talk. And so when Jeremiah came along, the people simply did not want to hear what he had to say. How tragic when those who should have known God should have known better that instead of turning, instead they hardened their hearts against God. I want to turn now to the book of Jonah, of all stories. We don't have time to go through the whole story. I think many of you know the story. God called Jonah, Jonah and said, hey, I want you to go to preach at Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He ran from God the other way, got on a ship to Tarshish, and the Lord sent a big storm. And finally, he was thrown overboard where a great big fish or a whale swallowed him up. And Jonah was in that fish for three days and three nights. And finally, the Lord heard his prayers, spit him out. And then Jonah got back onto the mission that God called him to go preach at Nineveh. Nineveh is interesting because it is a contrast between the response the Ninevites had compared to the people of God in Jeremiah and Ezekiel's time. You see, when Jonah went to go preach in Nineveh in chapter 3, we're going to turn there. Let's go ahead and get there. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent. I just realized that I passed over some verses in Ezekiel chapter uh, 14. And I did want to share these here before we get back to Jonah. Uh, the word Lord came to Ezekiel. He said, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I want to read that again. Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent faithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine upon it, and cut off the man and beast from it. 
even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. Wow. That's pretty sobering again. Here God is saying that even if Noah, uh, Job, or Daniel were in that land, that by their righteousness and their walk with God, that even their prayers would not have been effective for the children of Israel. I felt led to bring that up because many people, especially for those who know their Bible, there's a story in Genesis where Abraham is interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And here God tells Abraham that he is about ready to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, he's the friend of God, and he prays and he says, Lord, Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? What if there's 50 righteous people? Will you spare the, the city for 50 people? And God says, I'll spare it for 50. Well, Abraham continues to pray. And he says, Lord, how about for 45? If there's 45 people, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And God says, I will spare it for 45. Well, he goes down to 40, to 30, to 20, to 10 Finally, God says, Abraham, I would spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there was even 10 righteous people in that city. Well, that passage has often been used to think, well, Lord, certainly there's at least 10 people here uh, praying for this nation. And I would like to say, yes, oh God, have mercy. I pray that there is at least 10 in our nation, if not many, many more. But they have used that to believe that, well, well, God certainly could never allow disaster in our nation if we're praying. But here we learn in Ezekiel with what I just read, it says that if if Jonah, if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. Verse 19, let's read on. It says, if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut off from it man and beast... Even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more shall it be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beasts and pestilence to cut off man and beast from it. Is there a correlation? Is there any parallel with with how God was working with the nation of Israel? And we're going to get back to Nineveh here in a second, and perhaps our nation as well. Our nation that was founded by many, many godly men and women who, who loved God, and they wanted to see a nation that would have freedom and liberty, not freedom and liberty for us to simply do what we want to do, But the desire of our founding fathers was that we would have liberty not to serve ourselves and to please ourselves, but that we would have liberty to serve the Lord. Well, what have we done with that liberty as a nation? I'm not simply talking as an individual, although we will get there. Sadly, it seems when we look at the year 2020, uh, as a nation, we seem to do everything but the will of God uh, as we flaunt sin and uh, idolatry, rebellion, pride. And here God told Ezekiel that when, he, when a land sins grievously against the Lord and the Lord finally sends his judgments on that land, 
it's not for no reason. It's because for hundreds of years, perhaps, for many, many years, they have been ignoring God's messengers once again. And so God said to Ezekiel, hey, if Noah, Daniel, and Job, even if those three men were in the land, and those were three very righteous men, prophets of God, he said that their prayers would avail only for themselves. That's humbling and sobering. That tells me that we need to be walking with God I want to ask you a question, church. How is your relationship with Jesus Christ? How is your walk with the Lord? I know that we all have a lot of room for improvement, but I want to tell you that God's grace is sufficient for you. And if you have drifted and if you have strayed far from him, I want to let you know that God, he has not given up on you. No, he's sending people like me and many others across this land and around this world to say, I have no pleasure in the death of those who die, but God's pleasure, it says in the book of Luke, I believe, chapter 15, it says that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. You know, if we have strayed away from the Lord, when you, your heart is tender and you respond to that message, there is joy in heaven. Why? Because God's desire for you and I is that we would have that wonderful gift of eternal life, that we would live in relationship and fellowship with him, that we would not live for all eternity stubbornly doing what we want to do, uh, living in our anger or our, our wrath or our unforgiveness. No, God's desire is that we would turn to him with all of our hearts. And so let me encourage you in these days walk with God. Open up your Bible, begin to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what to read. If you don't understand what you are reading, that's okay. Put it on a shelf, come back to it another day. But this is a time when you need to spend time in God's Word and allow your faith to be informed, not only by His promises, but allow your faith to be strengthened and encouraged and fortified by the whole counsel of God to say, Lord, I want to read about what you did in the the lives of your people throughout human history. So when America is going through this difficult time, that we would perhaps know, well, how are we as the people of God to respond? Are we simply to respond in prayer? I was very thankful last week when our president called for a national day of prayer, but I would like to add one more thing. Would it possibly be even better to say perhaps America needs a national day of prayer and repentance. You see, if we simply pray, oh God, help us, oh God, turn away this this virus, oh God, and just pleading to him for help, but if there's no intention of serving him and using the health, the freedom, the liberty, and the resources that he has blessed us with, If our intention is not to use those things for his glory and honor, why should he listen to those prayers? No, we need to follow the pattern of the Bible to say, Lord, if you're sending a message to me and to all those around us, Lord, I can't live and I'm not responsible for everybody. I I can't repent for everybody else. But Lord, I can respond to your message. How did the Ninevites, a Gentile nation, they were a fierce nation, The children of Israel absolutely despised the Ninevites. Well, when Jonah went to that city and he began to preach to that city, let's go back to Jonah to see what happened with the Ninevites. 
Uh, end of verse 3, Nineveh was a great city, three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, In forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Can you imagine what a sight that would have been? I have no idea what Jonah looked like, having spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish or the whale. Uh, he must have been quite a sight. But he was proclaiming a message, again, of God's compassion and love, Say, Nineveh, it's time to turn from your ways because in 40 days, God was going to bring judgment. What was the Ninevites' response uh, to Jonah's preaching? Let's read on in verse 5. It says, So the people of Nineveh, they believed God, and they proclaimed a fast, which means they went without food, by the way, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh as well, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we might so that we may not perish? That is absolutely amazing. Here the king of Nineveh, he got off of his throne, took off his royal robes, of his authority, any pride that he had. And as they did thousands of years ago, to demonstrate humility, they would clothe themselves with sackcloth. The closest thing I can think of is burlap, and put ashes on their head to demonstrate humility and repentance. And he made a proclamation in his nation saying, not just the people, but even the animals, let's not even eat, but let's cry mightily to God. Let's go back to that verse. He published it, let everyone turn from his wicked ways. I'm sorry, we're going to get to that verse here. In verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Friends, here the people of Nineveh, they weren't considered the people of God. They didn't have his messengers going to them for hundreds of years, imploring them to turn back to God. No, they simply had Jonah going to them and warning them that, hey guys, things aren't good. In 40 days, if we don't turn as a nation, uh, we're not going to be around much longer. And the children of the, the Ninevites and the king himself as well, they didn't just proclaim a day of prayer, but they proclaimed a day of prayer, fasting, and repentance to God, to cry mightily to him. And then they followed it through with not just a prayer for mercy, but they turned from their wicked ways. They were a very violent people. 
they turn from that violence, from that hatred, from that animosity. And when God saw that, he turned from the disaster that he thought to bring on them. Let's go ahead to a few other verses to see in Jonah 3.10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. Our God is a merciful God. Here in the story of Jeremiah we, and the story of Jonah, we have a living illustration of Jeremiah 18 and the potter's wheel, that just as clay is in the hand of the potter, so are we, not just individually, but as a nation, we are in the hand of the potter. And any time that he has said, you know what, I intend to bring blessing upon that nation and to do them good, if that clay in the potter's hand as a nation decides to say, you know what, I just want to do what I want to do, then God's message to the children of Israel was, you know what, the good that I had intended to do, I can no longer do because you are remaining in your stubbornness and your selfishness and pride. But he also had a different message that that same clay may be a different nation, that it was in the hand of the potter as well. And that if God was fashioning and, and possibly bringing judgment upon a nation because of their sinful ways, if that nation would respond in humility, meekness, if they would respond in, in obedience to God, God would relent from the disaster that he thought to bring against that nation. Let's look at Jonah 3.10 again. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. I pray that in this day and age that we don't get caught up simply in in the, the scientific or the medical side of this coronavirus that's going around. You know, sadly for some, this type of message is simply too archaic, too old-fashioned because they think that they have all this great understanding about, well, no, it's just a virus. I want to tell you that God rules in the heavens and the earth. Is God himself bringing this virus, or is it simply man having brought it upon himself? I can't answer that question specifically, but I know from Scripture that God deals not just with us as individuals, but also with us as a nation. And with that view in mind, when our nation is facing such calamity, whether we've brought it on ourselves, whether we're overreacting or not, I find it somewhat fascinating that something as small as a virus can bring an entire nation and world to a standstill. Friends, God is trying to get our attention, not because he desires and he delights in, in anyone who would perish, no, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I pray that this morning that we would learn a lesson from Nineveh to say, Lord, help us to not be like the children of Israel. That, Lord, when you sent your messengers in compassion and love, instead of listening and amending their ways, changing their ways, instead they said, nope, we're going to ignore it and keep rushing ahead in our own ways. I pray we don't do that. 
But I just pray, church, that we as the people of God, that we would humble ourselves in the days and the weeks to come to walk softly, carefully, to reevaluate our priorities, our values, and to say, Lord, uh, have I really been walking with you the way I ought to be walking? Lord, I hear your voice calling to me this morning that, Lord, you desire for us to, to have our whole heart, that, Lord, your desire is not to bring disaster. You desire to bring blessing and to bring us into relationship with yourself. And so as our lives are, are about to slow down, incredibly so possibly, could I encourage you, lastly, spend time in God's word, spend time in prayer, Perhaps turn off that computer screen, that phone or tablet, whatever you're using to watch this, watch this sermon or listen to it, and talk to your Heavenly Father. He loves you. He cares for you deeply. He desires to be in a relationship with you forever and ever. So let's close this time in prayer right now and just ask God for His grace to say, Lord, we want to pray for our nation right now. Lord, we want to pray for the people of God, that, Lord, that we would not follow in the pathway of the children of Israel, but instead that we would have soft and tender hearts to turn completely towards God. What is God's remedy for this nation? I'll tell you simply from Scripture, God's remedy for our nation is prayer and repentance. Prayer and repentance. It doesn't make me a bad news bearer. It doesn't make the Old Testament prophets a bad news bearer. No, God in his love is seeking to turn us back to himself. Let that give you courage and faith this week to not get lost in the panic or the craziness of all that's going around us because God is trying to give you a glimpse of the big picture of what is he doing, that he is seeking to get the attention of this world and the message that is most important for us to receive is not, how am I going to survive this? No, it's, Lord, if you're trying to get my attention, Lord, I'm going to slow down, and you got my attention. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the living word of God, as I said at the beginning. Lord, it is forever settled in heaven. Lord, I thank you that a word that is written thousands of years ago, I thank you that you demonstrate that it is living because there is a direct application for us today. Lord, I thank you for every person who is watching. I thank you for everyone who listens to this message. I pray, Lord, that you would help our hearts to remain soft and pliable. Lord, that we would walk softly, carefully with you in the days and weeks to come especially, that we would see the bigger message of what are you doing, Lord? that, Lord, you are seeking to turn a nation back to you. Lord, we acknowledge that as a nation, our nation has turned from you. And God, we just pray from the president down to the city mayors, city councilmen, for all of those in leadership around us, that, God, that their hearts would not simply be of, of how are we going to get out of this mess, but, Lord, may they receive the message that you are calling this nation back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I know this was a, a different kind of a message perhaps, but I, I truly feel that it is timely for us as a church, for us as a nation. 
I would encourage you, if the scriptures, if you need to even listen or watch it again, uh, to do so. Maybe share it with a friend. Uh, God loves you, church. He loves you. For those of you who are watching or listening, his desire is for your good, not for disaster. And so I just pray that we would heed his message. I do pray that you have a good week and want to encourage you to stay in contact with one with another. Pray one for another. And let's see God do wonderful things in this country once again. God bless you.